Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Speaking of rest, it is very good to um, be back with you. We didn't have service here last week because of uh, the weather and roots and heritage. And the week before that, I was able to go on this first vacation that the four of us, our family, just our family, has been on, I think, ever. Um, and, and my son is six years old. Thanks to COVID and lots of other factors, it was the first time. And so we were really grateful for that rest. I hope you were able to hear the testimony I was able to share on Facebook Live last week with how God provided that for us. Uh, just incredible. The first time I remember taking... Um, my son, my oldest son to the beach was in Savannah, Georgia, Tybee Island area. And we decided, I was thinking about this this week, we decided it would be a good idea to go kayaking. Kayaking in Kentucky is one thing because you just float down a river. It's really hard to mess up kayaking in Kentucky. You just float and sometimes paddle and sometimes carry beverages and snacks with you as well. But it's really, really hard to mess up kayaking. Now on the ocean, it is very, very easy to mess up kayaking. You see, we kayaked out into this bay. Um, this was one of the first times that my brother and his new wife were with us at this point. We were in tandem kayaks, which is like, let's have the big marriage fight right now. That's what tandem <laughs> kayaks are for. Tandem kayak, and we, we paddle out into this beautiful bay, and there's a lighthouse. You can get off this, this like old 1800s lighthouse, and got up there and just saw all sorts. It was just absolutely beautiful. What we did not know, though, is that when you paddle back and the tide is going out, oh my gosh, that is difficult. That's not Kentucky kayaking. That is ocean kayaking. And my arms were on the verge of falling off. And we could not have gotten back if we did not at some point develop this rhythm together in a tandem kayak, hence... Uh, fights in marriage, but we would not have been able to do this if we would not developed a common rhythm of, of one person and the other person and doing this at the same time. That's how you streamline and get this kayak to get in this very difficult situation, come out against the tide and back where we needed to be. And by the end, I was almost dead. So when we went to the beach this time, we did not kayak. It was not something that we planned on doing. I was thinking about that and thinking about how Olympic row teams work in this, too. You've seen a picture here on the screen. You've probably watched some of these things. So in these things, I mean, if this is a sport that's almost like a dance. So you're part of one team. You're an individual. You have individual responsibility, but your individual responsibility is caught up in this greater dance, this rhythm of responsibility together. In the rowing world, this shared rhythm is called the swing. There's a book about it called The Boys in the Boat by Dame's, Daniel James Brown. He writes that rowers must rein in their fierce independence and at the same time hold true to their individual capabilities. Races are not won by clones. Good crews are good blends. Someone to lead charge. Someone to hold something in reserve. Someone to fight the fight. Someone to make peace. Differences can be turned to advantage instead of disadvantage. Only then... Will it feel as if the boat is moving on its own? Only then does pain entirely give way to exaltation. Good swing feels like poetry. I think that's a beautiful picture of the church. 
We have individual responsibility. We have individual gifts and differences. But when those gifts and differences come together and we have a shared rhythm, a shared direction, something beautiful can happen. When all of what God has made us to be as individuals is brought together in a common direction with a common rhythm, something beautiful takes place. That's what I want to see for our church family. It's what I want to speak into, not only this week, but in the week to come as well. We have been around as a church now for five and a half years, and the church that we were five and a half years ago is very different. Not only we meet at a different place, but and there's lots of you who were here in the very beginning. We're blessed by that. That's not always the case in church plants, but there's lots of folks that were here in the very beginning, but a lot of you have joined us since. A lot of you joined us even since the pandemic. Our, our, it's almost like, in a sense, I was telling some folks that we, we feel like and we're planting the church all over again. Because there's so many new faces, and the people that God are bringing are, are, are incredible, and we're so blessed by that. But in that idea, in the new faces and new thoughts and new people, we have to make sure that that common rhythm and direction is in place so that we can move with that swing, that rhythm, that poetry together as a church family. Back in 2017 when we began, our mission statement was this. We believe Jesus is restoring people who restore the world. Our mission to join him. It starts with, it should be pretty easy to know this, everything, our mission starts with Jesus. And that's not just a theological statement, it is a missional reality with us. Jesus is restoring people. That is a present tense. It does not say Jesus was restoring people. It does not say Jesus will one day restore people. We speak of the activity of Jesus in the present tense. Jesus is in this moment present and bringing restoration in our lives. So everything then now begins and ends with Jesus because we walk in and with what he is already doing. He's already began the work of restoration. And the reason we exist is to join what he is already doing, meaning that we need a process as a church family to talk about what it means for us to walk with him, to follow him. A very simple way of putting this. We need a common vision, a common understanding for what it actually means to be a Christian. Because let's be honest, that's not always agreed upon today, is it? For some people, they understand Christianity as a voting block, as a group of people who have a particular political bent. Some people understand it as a belief system, a dogmatic practice. Some people think that Christianity is a higher moral standard, meaning that we should be more moral than everyone around us. And if you have been a part of any church background whatsoever, you're carrying in here some idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so we as a church, right, we need a common vision of what it actually means to follow Jesus, because we want to go in the same direction. Maybe you're here today and you're not even really sure you know what it means to be a Christian anymore. Maybe the world and the definitions that have been around us have so jaded and shook your understanding of faith that you are questioning that. If that's you, honestly, you're in good company. John 14 Jesus, he's just dropped this bombshell saying he's about to die. He's with his disciples in the upper room. They've just had the Last Supper. Everything they thought they knew about Jesus was going out the window. I mean, the person they're following, they think, is going to come and, and take over and throw out Rome and, and be the king of Israel. All of that vision is about to go away because they hear that he is dying. 
And Thomas, he makes this statement that I think is a statement some of us, whether we've used these words or not, have used from time to time. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, wrapped up in this question, there is an assumption that Jesus is actually absent. They have a future of following Jesus where he is not present with them, that he is fundamentally absent. Jesus in the future for Thomas in this mindset is, is absent and he's just an idea. He's just a belief system. He's just a good example that in the future, in the everyday stuff of our life, we'll follow and if we're honest, that's the Christianity that a lot of us have kind of come to understand is that Jesus is fundamentally absent. He's a good idea. He's a good example. And so because he's kind of up there or back then or somewhere in the future, all we have right now is this idea of who Jesus was, but not Jesus himself present with us. And when we live with the idea of Jesus, when we live with just this belief in Jesus, but without Jesus, we become jaded. We become weary. Because Jesus as a hypothetical is a good idea, but after a while, it does not sustain you. Jesus as just a good belief system, just a good moral standard, will sustain you for so long, but after a while, you will get weary. And if that is what you've known as Christianity, and if you do feel weary, it might be why. But Jesus responds to this question of Thomas. He responds to us. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there is a lifetime wrapped up in that statement. Theologically, spiritually, lifetimes wrapped up in that one sentence. But I want to focus on those first four words where he says, I am the way. In the Greek, this word here is hodos. It literally means road or pathway. But in the ancient times, as well in our times too, the way is, is also a prominent metaphor of a manner of living, a pattern of life, the way that you choose to follow. Notice here, Jesus does not say that I have the way. He says that I am the way. Do you know that there's a difference? Jesus is not coming to you and say, I have some type of idea, some type of religion that you are, are, are being charged to follow. He says, I am that way. Now, this should fundamentally alter the way we understand our faith. It should fundamentally change how we view Christianity itself. Jesus is saying that I am simultaneously the guide, I am the road, and I'm also the destination. I am where you are going, I am how you get there, and I am also the one that leads the way. All at the same time. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am not just a hypothetical in your mind. I'm not just a belief system. I am the very road that you walk. I am the guide that leads the way, and I am in the end where you're going. The way Jesus presents himself in this as the way, I believe, opens up for us a threefold vision of what it means to follow him. And that is in a person, a path, and a promise. When we think about what it means to follow Jesus, when we think about what it means to be a Christian, if we frame it like this, a person, a path, 
and a promise. First, it's a person, Jesus. This is obvious. You might think, thank you, Captain Obvious, for pointing out that Jesus is the person in this equation. And you're right. But think about it. You can do a lot around Jesus. You can talk a lot about Jesus. You can do things inspired by Jesus without Jesus, right? Listen, you can do church really well without Jesus. You can, do, you can pull off church real good without Jesus, believe me. You can do a lot of stuff where you talk about him, where you're inspired by him, but it doesn't mean you're with him. It doesn't mean that you are with Jesus and what he is doing. You could be doing these things without him. Jesus is the person in this equation. He is the one who is risen as the reigning king in the here and now. And by his spirit, my friends, we walk with him step by sometimes stumbling step. But that is the person who is present with us, Jesus. That's why he is called Emmanuel, God with us. God for us, not God in the future, not God in the past, but the God who is present and among us. This is his invitation in John 15. He, he speaks these words. I love this in the message. It says, live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And when you are joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest, the harvest is sure to be abundant. This is the invitation. We're invited into the life of Jesus, living in him, this mutual indwelling of Christ in us and us in Christ. We alive in him, he alive in us. This is so so much more than Jesus being a good teacher. It's so much more than Jesus being a good moral example. It's so much more than an inspiring idea. Jesus is risen. Our life is in him, and his life is in us. He is the person that we follow. Christ in us, Paul writes, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Not that we have it figured out, not that we have all of our ducks in order, not that we have morally ascended to a higher place, but that by faith Christ is in us. But it's not just a person, it's also a path. And this path that we follow in following Jesus is called discipleship. Jesus says, I am the way, not that I have the way, but I am the way. Discipleship, one of those churchy words that I almost dare not mention because it means so many different things to so many different people, but it's actually very, very simple. It is apprenticeship under Jesus. It is learning from Jesus how to be like Jesus by being with Jesus. Dallas Willard says discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Meaning that Discipleship is not creating a bunch of Stepford Christians, not a bunch of clones. Jesus is uniquely coming alive in each of us, uniquely coming alive as we follow him in ways that he's not in other people because his goodness and his grace is big enough that he has uniqueness in each one of us. That's so profoundly beautiful to me and that I get to see God uniquely come alive in you in a way that he won't in me. That's why I love the church and why I need the church. Why you need the church is because I get more of Jesus when I get to watch what he's doing in you that I can't just see on my own. 
This is his imitation of Matthew 11. Again, here in the message, you've heard these words before. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, let me stop right there. Does that sound like a good idea, a God in a distant past or a distant future? That is a God who in the present says, if I take this step, you take that step too. Not from a distance, but from a God who is here. It says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Why is this important? It's important because the Christian faith is often, often presented as this moral improvement plan that allows us to get into the presence of God. If you think about a lot of the presentation of Christianity in the world right now, it is we have to get our act together so God will show up. And they'll proof text Bible verses like, like 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people call by my name and humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I'll come and heal their land. But the, what they're doing in that is they're projecting that onto some moral vision of saying, if we get our act together, God will show up. And that is not the character of God. The fact is that God is present here and among us right now. We're just not looking. We're just following a Jesus that doesn't look like the Jesus that's sitting on high. We have a Jesus who's on his throne, but the Jesus who's on his throne is in the trenches. He's among the weak and the poor and the weary. That's the Jesus who's present with us. Which leads us to the person and the path pointing us towards the third thing, and that is the promise. The promise for us, the promise is what we call this church restoration. For a lot of us, the end goal of the faith has been presented as just simply the afterlife. And let me tell you, my friends, I don't want to minimize this, especially knowing folks right now walking with people on the doorstep of death, uh, the promise of what we have in the days to come after our death is foundational. It is beautiful and it is hopeful. But, 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 sometimes we've stopped there. As if restoration is only a future reality, something that happened in the past, not God's person with us, bringing about that restoration in the present. This vision is incomplete if we only understand restoration as a future reality instead of a present promise when we walk with Jesus. Romans 8 says that we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. From the distant past, his eternal love reached into the future. You see, he knew that those who would be his one day, and he chose them beforehand to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would be firstborn of a new family of believers, all brothers and sisters. As for those he chose beforehand, he called them to a different destiny so that they would experience what it means to be made right with God and share in his glory. I hope you hear these words, this promise today that, as it says in many of your translations in the NIV, that God is working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And when he says that, he says it's all things. God is using all things. We need to say that, speak that, that God is not just using the good things. God's not just waiting for you to get the good things happening so he can use that. God is in the middle of the mess 
God is in the middle of the pain, and God is actually forming the pain and the weariness and the heartache into good, into restoration. If he were only using the good things, what a disastrous vision of Christianity that would be. But only, only, only in those things, that trust that God, when my day is bad, you're forming this for the good. When I have absolutely run my life off a cliff, even that, my friends, can be formed for the good, used for his restoration promise. That's good news. It's not good news if you have everything together. It's good news for those of us who are weary and wandering and tired. And it's good news that it's not just a personal reality, that it has a cosmic scope, this restoration promise that God is restoring all of creation. Actually, in Acts 3, when Peter's preaching to the religious leaders, he says that heaven must receive him before, and he uses this phrase, the restoration of all things. But the future promise of what we have is God bringing about restoration in all of creation. Jesus says it, Revelation 21.5, he says, I am making everything new. Everything new. I'm going to take him at his word that he's not just holding out on us there, okay? I'm going to take him at his word that it's not just a few things. That it's not just a little part over here that I want him to. Or it's not just this area over here that everybody says he's going to do. But he's actually making all things. Those words again, all things new. God is using all things according to his, good, according to his goodness and his, for his purpose there. And he's also making all things new. N.T. Wright says that people who believe in the resurrection and God, making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. And all of this, my friends, it starts and ends with this invitation that Jesus is saying, I am the way, follow me. It's the same invitation if you're in middle school or middle age. It's the same invitation if you've been in church your whole life or this is the first time you've darkened these doors. The same invitation, follow me. It starts with this person. It starts with the path and the promise. And for some of us, we've maybe heard about Jesus, but we've maybe never made a decision to follow him. Maybe because we're unsure of what that means or maybe because we're afraid that we, we don't know enough or maybe it's because we're not convinced that God would love us as we are right where we are, and, and, and we don't even really know where to start. And let me tell you today, if you feel like you're not sure or you're not ready or you're, you're not sure God is, 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 is ready to receive you and invite you, I'm telling you, you're exactly where he wants you to be. You don't have to get anywhere else. You're exactly where, you want to, uh, where he wants you to be. And the invitation to you today is follow me. Follow me. Eugene Peterson, I love these words. He says, there is no experts in the company of Jesus. We're all beginners, necessary followers, because we don't know where we're going. The way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the pauses and reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. So you don't have to have it all together. In fact, having it all together actually puts you at a disadvantage when it comes to following Jesus. Not knowing everything is where you should be. 
It means that you are following a person, a path, and a promise, not perfection. Of all the symbols of our faith that show this clearly, I think about the symbol of baptism. You can see here on the screen some shots of past events where we have gone out into that courtyard, blown up a hot tub, which was real ghetto, but it worked well. And we gathered around and raised our hand and prayed for people as they took that step forward in faith and said, I want to follow Jesus. Listen, baptism, I hope you know this, is, is, is not a destination. It's not the finish line of faith. It's the start. It's where I step into the person. I step into the path and I step into the promise. And if you're here today, and you've never been baptized, and you're thinking through that, you're wrestling with that, and you're interested in that, I want you to do one of two things. Either go on the app, and you could go to the Connect card and say, I'm interested in baptism, or come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about what that is and that next step, step of following Jesus. It's a way we get to celebrate whoever comes and is dunked in that water and brought out. It says we're raised, we're buried in baptism, raised to new life again. It's a celebration of what God has done. I love it because it's not a solemn event for us. It's a party. It's celebrating. It's yelling. It's beautiful and wonderful. And I would love for people to take that step of faith and follow Jesus in baptism. So I encourage you, if that's you today, come talk to me, fill out a card in the app, get your parents to fill out a card in the app, whatever that may be. But some of us here today also, I know, are already Christians. And you don't get to graduate to advanced Christianity, your invitation is the exact same. Jesus says, follow me. He says, there is a person to follow. There is a path we're walking on. There is a promise that we have together. And I want you today to, to, to there's a couple words I've been praying for this, this day in particular. Remembering and renewing. Remembering and renewing. Remember God's faithfulness to you. Remember your story. There is a many traditions as you come together yearly in worship. There is a day where the congregation receives the call to remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. That's a funny thing. I remember my baptism was Mother's Day of 1995. And I remember it mostly because my cousin was baptized the same day and he slipped and fell in. It was wonderful. <laughs> but back then, we did not have cameras like we do now to be able to videotape such an occasion. But I think about that day, and I think about how much my story has changed since then, and how many struggles I've walked through, how much my faith journey has changed. And I know maybe for some of us, baptism took place in a painful season of life, or it took place in a, in a, in a season or a place that feels painful now. And I, I hope today the Lord reminds you that in spite of the struggles that have happened since then, your baptism still remains. You have been sealed in Christ. You have been buried with Christ and raised again. And so we repeat the words here of generations and generations of Christians saying to you today, remember your baptism. You belong to Jesus. We belong to one another. And so as we worship together today, what I wanted to do as we close is to pray a prayer of remembrance. Many traditions do in the Christian faith where we pray and receive what God has already done among us. 
And so I'm going to pray this prayer. I would love for us to go ahead and stand even and pray this together here on the screen. And we're going to take communion here in a second. There's going to be prayer teams in the back as we worship as well, if we can pray with you about anything. Communion elements up here as well. But let's pray this prayer here first together as a family here on the screen. It says, Sisters and brothers in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, God's Spirit has been poured out upon water, water poured over and immersing us, water that flows freely for all who will receive it, water from the streams of God's saving power and justice, water that brings hope to all who thirst for righteousness, water that refreshes life, nurtures growth, and offers new birth. Today we come to the waters to renew our commitments in each other's presence to Christ who has raised us, the Spirit who has birthed us, and the Creator who is making all things new. Amen. Father, we thank you for the remembrance of the day when our faith journey began. It was not the end, it was the beginning. In Revelation, you remind us, you say, sometimes we lose our first love. Sometimes we lose our way. That's why, Jesus, you remind us today that we're never far off the path because the path is the person who is inviting us once again, wherever we are in our faith journey, to respond to those simple words anew. Follow me. For each one of us here today, there is no one sitting in the background of God's activity. God is speaking to each person, saying, follow me.